Welcome back. Our first Genesis study, uh, Wednesday night study um, from post-holiday. Um, just so y'all know that we, we took a long break this last summer from Wednesday nights, a significant one where it was almost four months, and we took about five weeks over the holiday, and we've decided that in the upcoming year we're probably going to shorten those breaks because it's just so hard to get back into it. So we'll have less time in the summer and then probably just a few weeks over the holidays next year. So I'm glad y'all are here. I'm glad to get back into Genesis. We have got, as best I can tell, about seven studies, maybe six, um, in Genesis before we move on to Exodus. And once we get done with Exodus, we'll probably go to Leviticus and so on and so forth. So this is sort of an Old Testament study, but we're just in Genesis, so it's been a Genesis study. Does that make sense? Good. Um, let's, uh, let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time and guide it. Lord, we are incredibly thankful that we get to gather here, uh, open the Word, dive into it, have the Spirit so there might be any understanding, have encouragement in one another, and not have to whisper, and that we might actually be informed as to who you are and, and grow in our understanding of you. Lord, I, I do pray uh, that you would allow this to be a time where we are transformed by the renewal of our minds. I pray that while we would understand more from the Word so that we could understand you, I pray that it wouldn't just be uh, just knowledge as it sits, but I pray that you would give us wisdom in these truths uh, so that we might have the, the right application of knowledge. Um, Lord, it is a sweet privilege to be called your children. And so as we gather as your children, we, uh, we do so humbly and we submit to you. I'm thankful that your word is alive, that it's a two-edged sword, and that it warns us and instructs us and informs us and directs us, and uh, that it is breathed out by you and profitable so that we could be equipped and competent and ready for a good work. We love you very much. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to Genesis 42. We're actually going to cover chapters 42 and 43 tonight. Uh, so if it sounds like I'm talking fast, it's because we have a lot of text to cover. Um, we are at the end of the book of Genesis. And about midway through the book of Genesis, we um, became acquainted with Abraham. Uh, we know him as Father Abraham, and you have to do this every time you say his name, Father Abraham. And what we learned from Father Abraham uh, is God went from a, a focus on creation to narrowing the focus to his people, which is Israel, a chosen nation, and he did so for his glory. And what we found is he told Abraham, I'm going to make a covenant with you, and I will bless your offspring. Uh, they will be as numerous as the stars, as numerous as the sand on the shore. And you can just imagine him and his wife Sarah thinking, fantastic. And then by the time they're 100 years old, they still don't have any babies. And so um, from the get-go, they realized this is going to be a journey of faith. We don't just get to walk by sight and have ease because the Lord is a part of our lives. Um, and so what happened was when they were real old, um, uh, they uh, conceived a child. Uh, the Lord blessed them. And uh, from there, what we see is uh, Abraham and Sarah had who? Y'all remember? Isaac. Who married who? Rebecca, 
And they had who? Esau and Jacob. Jacob and Esau. And Jacob married who? Rachel and Leah and Zilpah and Bilhah. Yeah. Um, he has four wives, which we learned was three too many uh, by all biblical standards. Um, a lot of times we, sometimes you read something in scripture and you just think that because a, a, a person, a real person, a real sinner uh, who God included in his breed that word, just because they did something, um, it's like, well, uh, Jacob did it. And, all, and sometimes we try to rationalize that that's a good way to say whether or not we should do something. Uh, when in fact, uh, uh, God's people do things they shouldn't do all the time. So rather than saying, be like this guy, don't be like this guy, do that, don't do that, we should listen to the Lord, see what he says, allow him to inform every one of our movements, every one of our responses, our actions, and our words. So uh, Jacob had uh, many kids. Uh, anyone want to take a shot at how many there ended up being? Twelve tribes of Israel. Fantastic. We'll get back into it. Genesis. We're in Genesis. Genesis 42. Um, uh, and so uh, they, he had lots of kids because he had lots of wives. But in fact, God was blessing uh, him. And through him, we will see uh, the 12 tribes of Israel uh, come about. Some uh, growing up, I always thought when I heard the 12 tribes of Israel, there was like, I always pictured these 12 great groupings of people. And if you were just trying to be like at least one of the 12 groups of people, then, then that was a good thing. And what I'm finding is uh, most of them are really wicked, sideways with each other, rude, uh, sexually immoral, um, uh, self-serving. Uh, they're not like these pinnacles of greatness that you would think when you think 12 tribes. They were boneheads and sinners in desperate need of redemption. God did not look at them and say, you're great, I'll use you. He said, you're horrible like everybody else, and I'll redeem you, and, and I'll utilize you as I see fit for my glory, and uh, as a vessel of mercy is what those scriptures paint a picture of, that we're vessels of mercy, common, fragile, but if cleaned out rightly, used by God as he sees fit to be poured out. That, that's what we are. So, uh, one of the kids that uh, Jacob had was Joseph. And uh, he had that child from Rachel. Remember, he worked for the years for Laban, who was their opportunistic uncle. And uh, he, went, he worked for his, uh, was it seven years? Isn't that right? And he uh, woke up the next morning and said, ah, Leah. Uh, Leah was the other sister um, that didn't look like Rachel. And uh, so Rachel... Uh, so he was like, I still want to be married to Rachel and Laban, being the opportunistic man he is. says, well, that's fair. Just work another seven years. Uh, finish your marriage week with this one, and then you can have both of them as long as you stay for another seven years. And then they tried to have babies, and it was like they turned baby-making into, into a sport. And they brought in the recruits, uh, Zilpa and Bilha, which, yeah, Zilpa and Bilha. And uh, there were lots of babies made. And it was really some really weird chapters. But what we're finding is that there's a narrowed focus on Joseph. Um, there are 13 chapters in the book of Genesis revolving around the life of Joseph. So when we're studying his life, we're, we're knowing this is important. Uh, he gets lots of airtime, and it's not just coincidental because this is breathed out by God. And so 
Uh, we're going to continue to look at his life tonight, uh, mainly an encounter that he has with his brothers. When we ended last time, what we saw was that Joseph was the baby boy uh, of the family. This was uh, before uh, Benjamin was around. Joseph's out in the field with his brothers, and he's like, hey, I had this dream that like everything of mine was being bowed down to by everything of yours. Isn't that awesome? And then I had a dream that like I'm just pretty much better than y'all. Isn't that awesome? And they were dreams. They were from the Lord. They were prophetic in a sense. Uh, however, uh, he did not, he sort of thick skulled. It's like if I came and had a dream, like I had a dream that, uh, that you just, you were bound down to me. Is that, isn't that awesome? You would not say, that's awesome. You'd say, don't tell me about your dream. Um, you think you're better than I am? So he told his dreams to his brothers and they decided, let's sell him into slavery in Egypt. At first they were going to kill him. Uh, and one of the brothers stepped up and said, let's not do that because there's no money in killing him. And so they did the noble thing and made a little extra money, and they sold him into slavery in Egypt. Now, uh, they, after they did that, they took his coat, which he so valued, remember his coat of many colors, that his daddy had given him, and he wore around and told him about his dreams. And really, in reality, Joseph is probably uh, just like any other baby brother that you just kind of want to punch him in the face sometimes because he's acting the way that he is. He's not this pinnacle of awesomeness. Um, however, he is redeemed by God and used for great things. But so they took his coat and they went to his dad, Jacob, and they said, uh, uh, we found this. And essentially they allowed him to just believe that he had been torn to pieces by an animal and they dipped it in blood and made it look really bad, kind of, you know, uh, staged the scene a little bit. And, um, we find that while he's in Egypt, so he's sold off, this caravan comes by, they're like, Hey, you want to buy our brother? Yeah, that's great. They go to Egypt and they get to Egypt, and he is a prisoner, a Hebrew, the only God-fearing believer in Egypt at this point that we know of. And he is, uh, it says that we find that while he's in Egypt, the Lord was with Joseph and caused him to become a successful man. So his circumstances change for what seems to be really the, definitely the worst. And God causes him to be successful, even though he's in a, he's a prisoner. He is a slave. He does not have rights that you would have as a normal uh, citizen of a country. Uh, if someone does something mean to him, he doesn't say, I have my rights. He's, he's a slave. He doesn't, he doesn't get to exercise those things that he does not have. So he's brought into Potiphar's house, but Potiphar's wife has the hots for him and makes up a lie and has him imprisoned when he refuses to sleep with her. And uh, he ran away when a lot of other guys would not have run away. And it was good that he ran away and it showed character. And because he showed character and he stood up for the Lord um, and he did what was right, God rewarded him and gave him riches. No, that's not what happened. He, he actually was put into prison. So it's like, great, I did the right thing and now I'm in prison. Um, and so he's in prison. The Lord continues to make Joseph successful. So he's one of the most successful prisoners that the Egyptian prison has ever seen. Uh, and even in prison, Joseph is eventually put in charge of the prison. That's not something that happens regularly. It's not a normal occasion for the prisoner to be put in charge of the prison because he's so good at keeping things in order. Uh, so uh, certainly his life is, is unique because of God's blessing on it. Sometime later, the cupbearer to the king and the baker are thrown into prison with Joseph. They have dreams, and they're troubled because they don't know what their dreams mean. And they go to Joseph, or they're talking about it, and Joseph says, well, don't, does not a dream's interpretation belong to the Lord? And so he says, let me take a shot at it. And sure enough, he nails it. He tells them what their dreams are. And the, uh, the cupbearer's head is lifted up, and the baker's head was lifted off. 
Um, so uh, not so good for the baker, but he was right. So two points for Joseph. And Joseph essentially looks at the cupbearer and says, hey, man, I'm not supposed to be in here. This is an unjust situation, and so I'm going to make an appeal. When you get out of here, don't forget about me, all right? I hooked you up. Please don't forget about me. And sure enough, uh, the cupbearer got around to remembering Joseph about two years later. So when someone says, don't forget about me, you're thinking, man, maybe next week's the week, maybe tomorrow, maybe later today. Two years later, what happens is the Pharaoh has some troubling dreams, doesn't know what they mean, and the cupbearer's like, hey, there was that Hebrew slave in prison who told me my dreams. He, you know, he told me not to forget about him, and I'm a man of my word. And so here two years later, let's uh, go get Joseph and see if he can uh, hook you up, Pharaoh, and tell you what your dreams mean. And so they go, and it says he shaves, and he, he takes a shower and gets cleaned up. And um, he, uh, he was not only able to tell Pharaoh his dreams, but through that process, he revealed a God-given wisdom so that it wasn't just, thanks for telling me those dreams. I'll put you in a nicer cell. That's not what happened. Because he was so good at telling him the dreams and God had so blessed him with an, uh, an enormous amount of wisdom and insight, Joseph was actually appointed to a degree of power where only Pharaoh was stronger and had more power than Joseph in Egypt. So he was second only to Pharaoh. This is a Hebrew slave so blessed by God in circumstances that seem really bad promoted to a place of power where the only one who really has more power than him is Pharaoh. And uh, by the end of chapter 41, we find, in fact, that the whole earth, uh, there was a famine, which had been predicted in the dreams and prophesied and communicated clearly via Joseph. And uh, the whole world was in a place where they were going to Egypt for grain. And the guy in charge of all that was Joseph. So what we find is this guy goes from being disowned by his brothers thrown into a pit, then he gets out of the pit only to be sold into slavery, only to go to Potiphar's house as a servant and then be thrown into prison and stay there for years and years. And now he is in this place where he, in fact, has great power in all the earth. It's a pretty unbelievable, not unbelievable, that's a bad word. It's very believable because God said it, so it is so. Um, however, it is, a, it is an amazing story. There are many ups and downs, and God's hand in all of it uh, should overwhelm you as you listen to what happened to him. So this Hebrew slave in Egypt, now by God's design, has worldwide influence. He has worldwide influence. And that brings us to chapter 42. Verses 1 through 5. When Jacob learned that there was grain... For, now, Jacob, remember, Jacob's back Where? Uh, okay, not Egypt. We'll go with that. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? <laughs> That's pretty funny. And he said, behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but, ja but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might come to him. The deal with Benjamin is jo Joseph and Benjamin are the only two who came from Rachel. Joseph's gone, and you can imagine as a father who's lost a child that uh, Jacob's saying, you know what, little Benjamin's going to stay here. Y'all go. I don't, don't really want to go. So if you're one of the other brothers, you're thinking, cool, great, we're all expendable. You hang out with Benjamin. Uh, that's fantastic. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, uh, with his brothers, for he feared something uh, home, uh, harm might happen to him. 
Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, uh, for the famine in the land of uh, for famine was in the land of Canaan. Now, the lens turns to Jacob here, who's making decisions for his family on how to take care of his family in a hard circumstance. This is brief, but it's worth noting. Uh, when our circumstances change for the worse, it's not good to just sit idle and hope for the best. Uh, your circumstances will change. In case you were hoping to live a life where your circumstances would never, ever change, and if they did, uh, it'll surely be for the good. Um, I'm calling you back to reality. That's not how it happens. Uh, a lot of times you will get a phone call that will change your circumstances in the snap of a finger, and everything feels a little turned upside down at the time. And so uh, change can be crippling. Change can be crippling. So, some, some of us deal better with change than others, but sometimes you can and go through some sort of change, and it's just, I don't like this. This isn't what I'm used to. This is different, and I don't like it. And you find yourself crippled and idle and not moving. And what we see here from Jacob is good. He's doing what he needs to do to take care of his family. Change is inevitable. And as head of the household, men, it's really good to assess the situation, do whatever it is to, necessary to provide for the family. I, I know guys who have lost their jobs, and it's really hard to find another one. And there's a tendency, man, I just, I just kind of want to sit here and be bummed. But the reality is you keep moving, and you keep going, and you trust the Lord for his provision, and you'll find that he provides abundantly uh, when things seem completely as though he's not going to. And, it, and it's really good. In fact, there's many sitting in this room right now that can attest to God's goodness in that. So what we see here is that their family is really just like any other family. They're sitting around, the circumstances are bad, and Jacob says, hey, boys, how about you quit staring at each other? And what my dad would always say growing up was, uh, make yourself useful. Here, I need a hand with this. Why don't you make yourself useful? And so that's what he's saying. Quit staring at each other and make yourself useful. So Joseph's brothers um, who sold him into slavery are on the way to Egypt to buy grain so that they might live. So that they might live. That's how dire the circumstances are. So they're going to buy grain in Egypt from Joseph unknowingly. They don't, realize, they don't know we're going to go buy grain from Joseph. Y'all understand the scenario? They don't understand that that's what's about to happen. So, interestingly, it's going to be a famine that reunites this family. Again, God working out things for the good of his people. It's a famine that reunites this family. Look at verse 6 through 20. Now, Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. That's got to be weird, right? Joseph's probably dealt with so many people. He's probably so tired, but he's, he's moving and he's going and he's getting things done. And in the middle of it, he looks up in these crowds who are really hungry and needing grain. And lo and behold, who is it? It's his brothers, his brothers who sold him into slavery. And now they need something from him. But he's, made, he's become a part of the Egyptian culture. He's probably dressed like an Egyptian, clothed like an Egyptian. He's probably, probably, probably walk like an Egyptian. No. <laughs> Stupid. I'm sorry. That wasn't in the notes. Huh? But everyone was thinking it. So everyone was thinking it. Everyone was thinking it. Um, so uh, anyway, he, he had taken on the Egyptian lifestyle. So it wasn't likely that they walked up and said, hey, man, that, that looks a lot like old... Well, uh, well, Joseph, he probably looked nothing like what they'd remembered, and it's been a number of years at this point. So, uh, 
Here they come and they bow down to him. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said, they said from the land of Canaan or not Egypt to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, (laughs) you're spies. You've come to see the nakedness of the land. You can imagine them thinking, what? He just called us spies? Imagine being at the airport in like a foreign country and someone's like, you're a spy. You're like, whoa, keep your voice down. Uh, They said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We're honest men. Your servants have never been spies. So just because they've never been spies, they're saying they're honest men. Verse 12, he said to them, nope. It is the nakedness of the land that you've come to see. And they said, we, your servants, are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. That's how it is. When you get nervous, you just start spilling the beans. I don't even know. There was one time where I did that. And, you know, it's just like, that's what they're doing here. We, your servants, are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. I mean, that's a lot of family information. When you're spies. No, 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 no. I got brothers and a dad and a mom, and we live in a place. But Joseph said to them, it is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. So he's saying, I think you're spies. You tell me there's another brother. Prove that you're honest and bring him to me. That's what he's saying. Send one of you and let, them, uh, let him bring your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested whether there is truth in you or not. Or else, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. Now, here's the deal. He got sold into slavery. So when I look at this, he throws them in jail for three days. I, he's just messing with them. That's what I think. I, it's like, man, I, nothing's going to happen to you. But uh, why don't you all go sit and think about what you did? For three days. Uh, On the third day, uh, I don't know if this is necessarily prophetic or not, but on the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live for I fear God. That's an interesting thing. He he says, I fear God. So he's showing them, um, we have something in common that you may not have known. I might just look like a a standard Egyptian to you, but I fear God. So here's what I'm going to do. Because I fear the Lord, uh, if you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households and bring your youngest brother to me. So your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. So he says, you know what? After three days, I decided I'm just going to hang on to one of you. I want to see how honest y'all are. Y'all go ahead and take grain to your household and then you're going to come back and I won't kill you. You're welcome. And we'll see how honest you are. See if you're spies or not. So he's testing them. So my how the tables have turned. I mean, this whole section of Scripture, you go from you're the little brother who's picked on, you probably deserve to be picked on, to now they're bowing down to you saying, for us to live, we need you to give us grain. Uh, Things are really bad. About 20 years have passed since Joseph has last seen his brothers. About 20 years at this point. This is a different Joseph. Thankfully, we're, and you know, Ben talked about sanctification on Sunday so it's not God's plan that you, you, you begin your journey of faith in a certain way, and you're just like that for your whole life. Young, immature, you haven't grown, you're not any wiser. What he does is he transforms us into the likeness of Christ more and more as we move through our lives. We have some days that are better, some days that are worse, but overall, in the bird's eye view, we're moving towards Christ's likeness for the glory of God. 
Joseph's life is changing. Uh, he shows discernment. He shows wisdom in how he deals with his brothers. I think that uh, the old Joseph would have said, ha, 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 I told you you'd bow down to me. Ha, ha. That's probably what he would have said. But now he's an older man. He's, he's wiser. He's in control. And he's not the annoying little brother. Uh, he's, he's a businessman at this point. He is um, dealing with his affairs well, and he is overseeing many important things. James 3.17 talks about being full of mercy. One, and it's talking about wisdom. The wisdom, one sign of one who has wisdom is that they're full of mercy. And uh, here I think we see that in Joseph's life. I think even though he does give them a hard time and puts them in prison, what could he have done? You were going to kill me, and you sold me into slavery. I haven't seen my brother, and I haven't seen my dad in 20 years. I, I think um, by the power old Pharaoh's given me, y'all are done. That's what he could have done. Uh, but he doesn't. I, I see that he's full of mercy in these, these scriptures. <clears throat> what we're seeing here is an encounter between unreconciled brothers. <clears throat> For many of us, the most uncomfortable thing in the world is to be around family members who we're at odds with. Anyone ever experienced that? You have family members you're at odds with, and it's like, can we do something else for Christmas this year? Like, I know there's 25 other people there, but I don't want to see that person. It, it creates sort of a tension that I think some are familiar with. <clears throat> we avoid them at all costs, and frankly, Joseph could have avoided his brothers here. He could have looked up, seen them, and just sent them away with nothing, never to see them again. I mean, he could have made a decision right then. You know what? They have no idea who I am. Uh, guards, take those guys. They're not getting anything. Just get out of here. And it could, that could have been it. <clears throat> uh, but God is doing a work in Joseph's life. I would offer that what we are seeing here is not cruelty and, and vengeance. Um, comparatively, uh, he, he is uh, testing them. He is trying to discern the situation. And uh, he is... Uh, de dealing with his brothers in the way he has to deal with his brothers, given the circumstances. Some might think, well, it's never okay to talk roughly with someone like he did. I would say it is. There are circumstances where it's, it may be appropriate. If that's all you do, you're a jerk. Don't do that. Um, but there are times where you may need to speak roughly with someone, particularly like he did in this circumstance. Uh, why do you think that Joseph has taken measures of putting his brothers in prison with an aim of retrieving the youngest brother? We've talked about it a little bit. What do y'all think? What are y'all seeing here? Yeah, reckon with what you've done. <clears throat> yeah, movement towards reconciliation in the family. What else? Yeah, I mean, if they treated him that bad, what did they do to Benjamin? Um, you could imagine his concern here. Uh, he wants to see what happened since his departure. He wants to uh, make sure... Uh, uh, of what is going on in the family. He wants to see if his brothers are purposefully hiding something from him. Uh, he wants to cause his brothers to think about the situation. Sometimes it's good to, to work in a manner where you really want someone to think about it, what's going on, to think about the circumstances. A lot of y'all will do that with your children. You'll say, you know what? I want you to sit and I want you to think about this for a minute. Don't just ignore it. Don't just get your spanking and run. Let's sit and think about this and then let's talk about what has happened here. And so <clears throat> he wants them to think about what has happened and keep them from hiding things from him. Uh, it is okay to test people. <clears throat> you may think, well, that doesn't sound right. Aren't we just supposed to trust people and be generous? <laughs> yes, trust people, be generous. Uh, don't be a person who just doesn't trust anyone. 
But when you have someone who has previously proven themselves to be untrustworthy, not trustworthy, it's okay to test them. I mean, if you have someone who has stolen time and time again, it's not real smart to say, hey, man, here's my wallet. I trust you. I trust you. I, I trust you. Oh, it doesn't matter how passionately you say it. They're probably going to steal your wallet. And until someone who has been previously untrustworthy can prove to be trustworthy, it's okay to put tests in place. And I think that's what he's doing wisely here. He's not playing games just for the sake of playing games. He's not just amusing himself like a guy in power, like, look, my brothers are puppets on a string. I'll make them do whatever I want. I don't think that's what's going on here. I think he's saying they're not trustworthy from my experience, and I'll put a few things in place to test them. Now, again, don't take it too far. If you're a person who is always testing people, like that's all you do, like I'm going to tell him this thing, I'm going to tell them this thing, and I'll know who lied or talked. And then you're just keeping track of all of these weird things. Don't do that. You should trust people. You should uh, be full of mercy. But when someone has proven to be untrustworthy, um, I would say if they talked about killing you and then sold you into slavery, uh, particularly in that situation, it's okay to test them. Uh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Joseph reveals that he fears God, and he presents his brothers with the option of proving their case of honesty. Um, how would this have turned out different if Joseph didn't still fear God? He still fears God. It's been 20 years. If he didn't, how would it have turned out differently? Yeah, they'd be dead. That's pretty simple. They, he would kill them. Verse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really great possibility. Since we know that he is one who fears God and taking a few days to assess the situation, a lot of times something happens, change happens, something comes in, and okay, let's just, let's just react right now. Um, I think it's very likely that he spent some time with the Lord in those days, especially when he comes back and says, I fear the Lord. I, I, I would agree with that assessment. It's ironic, too, that um, their life depends on them protecting their youngest brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is very ironic. That's a really good observation. Their life depends on them protecting their younger brother when with their other younger brother, they, they didn't do anything like that. They, in fact, sold him into slavery. Look at verse 21 through 23. Then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul. When he begged us, we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. Do you hear what they're saying? It's been 20 years, right? But Joseph is not just this forgotten circumstance. It's not like the brother they don't talk about. When they introduced themselves, they talked about a brother who wasn't there anymore. And here they're saying, this, do you know why this happened? Remember the way he begged us? Remember the distress? This, this is why things aren't turning out well. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, did I not tell you... <laughs> Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? There's always the one brother who's the told you so guy. Um, This family, I mean, you should really be able to relate to this crazy family. Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen to me, so now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. So this whole time there's been an interpreter. So Joseph's not even speaking to them in in their native tongue. 
they're speaking through an interpreter. I mean, he, he's pretty savvy. He, he, you know, he's walking the walk, talking the talk, that whole thing. And so um, he is, uh, they don't even know. They're thinking, they're talking to each other. Have you ever done that? Like at a restaurant or something where you think someone doesn't understand you and you say something and it turns out they do? Has that ever happened to y'all? You think they only speak one language, turned out they speak like two, three, six? <laughs> yeah, that's embarrassing. Um, plenty of time for stories on that another time. Um, what Joseph's brothers are describing here is karma. That's what they're describing. They're saying, hey, what goes around comes around, and we're about to get ours. We sold our brother into slavery, and, uh, you know, bad things happen to bad people. Good things happen to good people. Uh, We told them we were honest, but, you know, really bad things happen to bad people. That's what they're describing here. Uh, They're saying that what goes around comes around. And really what happens is if you believe in karma as opposed to grace, which they're very different, karma makes you cruel. Because if something bad happens to someone, you look at them and say, what did you do? as opposed to come to them full of mercy and encourage them and love them in the truth and help them to work through their circumstance or sort of a, well, I don't know what they did. It must have been bad because what's going on with them is, is, is bad. Um, that, that, that's pretty cruel. Another reason, uh, well, we already saw that. The reason that they don't know that it's him is they're talking through an interpreter. Look at verse 24. Then he turned away from them and wept. Joseph is, is, is moved here. He is, uh, he hears them talking about what's happened. It's stirring up. He's probably having a flashback to the day he was sold into slavery and the time he spent in, in the pit. And he, and he hears them and he hears his brothers talking and they sound like, man, we, we probably shouldn't have done that. And he's probably thinking, yeah, but he's also seen God's movement in that. It's just emotional. It's just emotional. Um, it's okay for guys to cry. He does. Uh, and so um, here in verse uh, 24, he turned away from them and wept, and he returned to them and spoke to them. He didn't want them to see his weeping. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. Simeon drew the short straw, the one who gets to stay. He just decided it was going to be Simeon. Uh, and Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in a sack and to give them provisions for their journey. This was done for them. So what he said is he takes the, the guys who are helping him run the house, who are essentially responsible for doing what he says, and he looks at his guys. He says, hey, take their grain sacks, fill them with grain, and then I also want you to take all their money that they brought and put their money back in their sack. That's pretty generous, right? Wouldn't you like that if you like went to the grocery store and you like got a bunch of groceries and they're like, thank you, have a nice day, and they just put your money back in your sack and you find it when you get home. That'd be lovely, wouldn't it? Uh, then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and they departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey some fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. Normally that's a great thing, right? Hey, look, we got a BOGO. Um, uh, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. He said to his brothers, my money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this, their hearts failed them and they turned trembling to one another saying, what is this that God has done to us. Why do y'all think that's their response? Yeah, they're guilty. Funny how when you feel guilty about something, it really affects the blessings that you might have in your life. Oh, I don't deserve that. Oh, that's going to turn out bad. Oh, this is, yeah. oh, this is going to come back and bite us. And so uh, look at verse 29. Uh, when they came to Jacob, their father in the land of Canaan, they told him what had happened to them, saying, the man, the Lord of the land... <laughs> They just referred to their brother who they sold into slavery as the Lord of the land. That's pretty cool. Uh, spoke roughly to us. 
<laughs> Daddy, he was mean. He spoke roughly. Uh, he spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, we are honest men. We've never been spies. We are 12 brothers, sons of our father. One is no more. The youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, by this, I shall know that you're honest men. They're just recounting everything that happened. Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your households and go away. Bring your youngest brother to me. Then I shall know that you're not spies, but honest men. And I'll deliver your other brother, Simeon, back to you. And you shall trade in the land. As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in the sack. And when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob's father said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin back. All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. I hope his two sons weren't in the room. Uh, Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. So Reuben, trying to sound like a noble warrior who will take care of things, says, I'll do it, Father, and if I don't, just uh, kill my sons. Wouldn't you love him to be your dad? But he said, uh, my son shall not go down with you. I mean, Jacob's looking at, at, uh, at Reuben and saying, I can't trust you. Uh, and why couldn't he trust him? Didn't something happen before? Y'all go back and read that. Um, we're not going to talk about it. Uh, My son shall not go down uh, with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. Joseph, uh, he wasn't cold towards his brothers. Uh, He was emotional. We saw his emotions were stirred, uh, and he really desires to see Benjamin, his brother. That's, That's what's going on here. He really wants to see his brother. Both Benjamin and Joseph were born of Rachel, and thereby they shared a bond that was closer than the other brothers. And Joseph is pursuing reconciliation in the family. And because he fears the Lord, he allows the brothers to return and leave Simeon behind, even though he's hesitant. Why do you think he's hesitant? Yeah, they're fine losing a brother. I know these jokers. So I fear the Lord, and I'm going to trust the Lord, and I want to send him away. I am going to keep Simeon here, but the reality is that they might not come back. They, they, they might just say, sorry, Simeon, that's the price we pay. We are willing to sacrifice your life, is what they were very easily could have said. I don't know. Hey, do you have any thoughts? I, I thought the same thing as I was reading it out loud and thought, that would have been good to have in the notes. Any, anyone have any thoughts on why you maybe chose Simeon? Yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? We all studied it together. That's why I'm asking it just openly. No, maybe I'll find something. Come back to it next week. Was he? Was he the instigator? Well, it doesn't say. It says the brothers conferred together. Yeah. Yeah. Possible. I don't know. There might be something more there. We can look at it. Um. Uh. Let's see here. Uh, consider how guilt keeps you from enjoying a blessing. They were blessed. I mean, that's a big pile of money. Hey, you went with a big pile of money and you came back with a big pile of money and a big pile of grain. Isn't that great? And because of their guilt, they can't even enjoy it. Had they found money in their sacks and not been guilty of their sin, they may have had a different perspective. They may have been like, oh, wow, someone dealt really mercifully and gracefully with us. This is incredible. 
Like people don't just make the mistake of accidentally putting all your money back in every sack. Clearly this is, someone did this on purpose. This is great. But instead they're just worried about getting caught and, and, and they're feeling very guilty. Jacob apparently uh, doesn't trust Reuben and rightly so. And we see in Jacob an expression of deep sorrow. And interestingly, he sort of writes off Simeon. Like he, he's already lost a son. And interestingly, we see him kind of say, and now Simeon's gone. As opposed to get your tails back on the donkeys and go get your brother now. He, we sort of see him write him off here, which is interesting. Uh, and he is not willing to part with Benjamin at this point. Uh, but the circumstances continue to worsen in chapter 43. Look at, look at chapter 43. Now the famine was severe in the land. And when they had eaten the grain that they had bought from Egypt, that they had brought from, brought, they didn't buy anything, uh, that they had brought from Egypt, uh, their father said to them, go again, buy us a little food. So the famine has gotten worse. Look at verse three. But Judah said to him, the man solemnly warned us, that guy who spoke roughly, uh, saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send your brother with, our, our brother with us, we will go down and buy food. But if you'll not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, why did you treat me so bad? <laughs> you can almost like the old father with a lot of sons. Why do you continue to make my life miserable? Uh, why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? Like, why did you even bring your other brother up? They replied, the man questioned us carefully. It's like, it's like he knew us or something. The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions, which that's really not completely true. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? They're like, how, even if we didn't tell him, how are we going to know he's going to say, go get him? Like, it's kind of a long journey. We're not here for introducing my brother to Pharaoh's right-hand man. Um, and Judah said to Israel's father, send the boy with me. So Judah steps up. Judah, I believe we're seeing a little growth in Judah at this point, from what it looks like at this point. He says, send the boy with me, and we will arise and go so that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. Here, Judah doesn't step up and say, "Uh, you can kill all my kids. I'll take care of them. He, He says, so that everyone can live, I'll take him and I'll, I'll, I'll watch him. I'll be a pledge of his safety. From my hand, you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would have now returned twice. We would now have returned twice. He's saying, look, we're wasting time. Everyone's hungry. There's grain in Egypt. We need to take Benjamin. Let's just do what it has to be done. Sometimes that how it, that's how it is. There's circumstances that are bad. It's hard. I don't like the circumstances. I don't want to do what, what's going to be required. It's going to take time. It's going to take money. It's going to, I'm going to be tired. It's going to be a hard journey. But you know what? We could have been there and back in all this time we've spent talking about it. Let's, let's just get it done. That's what Jude is saying here. So clearly, Joseph's warning not to return without Benjamin has, has been taken seriously by the brothers. They remember what Joseph said, and they said, you know what? I believe him. I believe if we return without Benjamin, this is bad news. Yeah, yeah. They, they're really more worried about, he might kill us. And I'm assuming that, that Simeon is, is, is a goner anyway. Yeah. And so um, uh, here, clearly Joseph's warning has, has been heeded. Um, uh, Jacob's frustrated that they mention another brother. 
But what we find is that Joseph was very insightful with the questions that he asked. Um, if you want to know what someone's circumstances um, are and why, what their standing is with the Lord, if they need help, where they're at, we do that in our benevolence, uh, our ministry of benevolence here. You know, we don't just have people show up and say, hey, I need $300 for a light bill. It's like, okay, what's your name? Here you go. You ask questions. What, there's things more important than your light bill. I'm glad you're here. We'll do what we can to help, but there's things more important than your light bill. And you ask questions. You want to see where they're at. You want to see uh, what their standing is with the Lord because um, that's more important. Um, and if you want to know where someone is, uh, what their standing is with the Lord, it's good to ask right questions and then listen closely. Joseph listened closely when he asked the right questions. Our actions, like Joseph, should be dependent on the truth. Joseph didn't just want to hear what their interpretation was or, how do you feel about what you did to me? He, he wants the truth. What's the, what is going on right now in our home? I want the truth. And with the right questions and good listening, you can get to the truth. So these circumstances are dire. There's a need for movement. You can hear that in, um, in uh, Judah's uh, tone. Look at verse 11. Then their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Israel doesn't just say, fine. He says, all right, if, if, if we're going to have to do this, let's do it this way. Let's come up with a plan. Let, let's put some things in order, make some plans, execute this well. He says, take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags. Carry a present down to the man. A little balm, a little honey. It's like chapstick or something. Gum, myrrh. Pistachio nuts, really, and almonds. Uh, take double the money. Don't just take the money back. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Perhaps someone accidentally put all the money back in every sack. We're going to give them the benefit out. Take it with you. Don't assume anything. Take also your brother and arise and go to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your brother and Benjamin. As for me, I, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. Uh, Israel has to give in. He doesn't want to, but he says, you know what? It's, it's what's for the good of the family. If that's what he said, we're going to do this, but we're not going to be stupid about it. We're going to make some plans. Um, he does not give in without adding a great measure of wisdom in their approach. He is honest. And has them approach Egypt with gifts and money that is not rightly theirs anymore. Uh, what you'll see uh, in your life and other people's lives is where there's a lack of honesty, there's likely a lack of wisdom. They kind of go together. When you're wise, you will deal honestly. But if you find someone who is not dealing honestly, it is likely there's a lack of wisdom there as well. So take a note of this, that all of this money does you no good. Think about all the money that's switching hands here. Have you ever thought, man, if I just had a little more money, or a lot more money. Uh, that'd be fantastic. All the money in the world does you no good without simple blessings from the hand of the Lord. Look at the circumstance. It's not that they don't have money so they can't eat. They got money. They got a lot of it. But what we're seeing here is that if a man thinks he's in control because of the amount of money in his account, the Lord reminds him in these verses that without the Lord's blessings, there's nothing for you to purchase with your money for the well-being of the Lord. You can have all the money in the world. If God doesn't bless the crop, so what? It's just a big pile of paper. It's God's blessings who give it any worth in the first place. The blessing, the benefit that you might have from a job that you work and a paycheck you bring home, that's still not enough. 
God has to bless the circumstances without his simple blessings on the earth around us and things going okay so that we can survive, money does you no good. We see it right here. You got a bunch of guys who got lots of money, bags full evidently, and um, there, there's no benefit there unless the Lord blesses them. We forget God's activity, and a lot of times we become short-sighted and just think, I just need more money. What's your problem? I don't have a problem. I need more money. And we see as they depart that Jacob is rightly bereaved, but though bereaved, he's not without hope. He's not without hope. Uh, he calls on the might of their God and their deliverance. He says, may, may our mighty God deliver you. And that's a good thing to hear as you're walking away, not sure what's going on. Look at verses 15 through 22. So the men took this present, and they took double the money with them and Benjamin. They rose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, bring the men into the house, slaughter an animal, and make ready for the men to dine with me at noon. It is not normal for a bunch of Hebrews to dine with an Egyptian uh, man of power in his house. But he saw his brother. He said, they're back. That's my brother. I haven't, I haven't seen that joker in 20 years. Hey, we're going to have some grub, make some food, and let's, let's live it up. They don't know that. They're still guilty and uh, what's going on. But he says, we're going to throw down and have a little party. So uh, the men were afraid because, uh, I'm sorry, look at verse 16. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, bring the men into the house to slaughter an animal, make ready for him for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid. They weren't rejoicing. The men were afraid because they, brought, they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, it is because of the money. It's the money. It's because of the money. Which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we're brought in so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. <laughs> Oh, he's going to take our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, now this is one of Joseph's servants. Isn't that funny? He's a servant, but he's got servants. God blessed him. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And uh, when we came to the lodging place, uh, we opened up our bags and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack and our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us and we've brought other money. We've got lots of money. We're not trying to steal money that's not rightly ours. And we brought more money uh, down with us to buy food. We do not know who put money in our sacks. So, I mean, they're really worried about this money. Again, we see the effects of guilt on blessing. They're being brought to a feast of celebration and think that it's all a setup. Someone's gonna start shooting in a minute. What are we going to do? They think it's all set up. Uh, essentially, what they're saying is, if I had been a good boy, I would deserve this feast. But I've been a bad boy. Sold my brother into slavery a few years back, and I'm pretty sure someone wants to kill me. Verse 23. He replied, he being the steward of Joseph's house. Love this. He replied, peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. 
And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, and they had washed their feet, and when they had given their donkeys fodder, they didn't steal your donkey, they fed your donkey. They prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. Some things worth noting in this verse. One, there's a call to peace. Um, Those are, Proverbs talks about words rightly spoken and the right placement are like set apples of gold and settings of silver. Like, isn't it great when you are like really terrified and stuff's going on, there's uncertainty and someone reminds you of something or tells you something and it's like, man, that, whew, I'm glad the Lord brought you here today. Um, th- those are like apples of gold and settings of silver and it brings peace to them. Your God and the God of your father is given credit for the blessing that's unique. Consider Joseph and his well-ordered house. Joseph's servant didn't go, oh, okay, hold on, and go ask Joseph what to say, did he? He said, you're God's one who blessed you. I received your money. It's almost like Joseph has said, hey, when they come in, they're totally going to be freaking out about this money. And, uh, and what you need to do is just tell them that their God and the God of their father blessed them and just tell them you got their money. Joseph had already ordered things well. What, what I see here is I want all of us, men especially, to know it is possible to work hard and oversee lots of important things and not have a house of disarray. It is possible to spend and be spent gladly, to be poured out by our God, to toil and strive and struggle with his energy that he powerfully works within us and not have a house of disarray. Sometimes we think it's one or the other. Do you want me to work hard or do you want me to keep the house in order? Well, here we see a house that's well-ordered and he's overseeing a lot of stuff. But what we see here is it will never happen without help. It will never happen without accountability. It will never happen without community. And it will never happen without planning. You can't just assume everything's going to go well. It takes order. It, it takes planning. It takes, hey, let's try to do this at this time so that it's done. <laughs> and then follow through. And if it doesn't get done, it's like, I just put that in the pile of stuff that's not done. Because then, then everything's a pile. Um, so here, it's really cool that we see he, he's taking care of the whole earth, essentially. It's sort of an Adam picture. Uh, and he has dominion, and he's taking care of people, and he's working really hard, and I'm sure he's putting in really long hours, but he does not go home to a house that is completely in disarray. The people that he trusts, people who are helping him, uh, there's probably a good family movement there. Uh, They know what to say. They know how to take care of problems. It's really an incredible picture, actually. And so um, then we end with the really sweet reuniting. Let's read the rest of this chapter. Look at chapter, uh, verse 26. When Joseph came home, they brought him into the house to him. Uh, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? It's kind of a, uh, your dad, you, you mentioned a dad. How's he doing? And uh, is he still alive? They said, Your servant, our, our father, is well. And he is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and he saw his brother Benjamin. I mean, this has got to be an emotional time. I mean, Hallmark would have a fit with this scene. Um, he lifted up his head, saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, 
and said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? It's been 20 years. God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out for uh, his compassion grew warm for his brother and he sought a place to weep. If you really break that sentence down, it's a beautiful sentence. It says that in 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 his deepest parts, passion grew quickly warm for his brother. Like he was just moved immediately. That's my brother. Um, and it says, uh, he says, be gracious to you. Then he hurried away. Uh, he hurried out uh, for his compassion grew warm for his brother and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and he wept there. Then he washed his face and he came out controlling himself. He said, serve the food. So it, it's like, okay, I'm in charge here. I know, I know it's an emotional thing, but I got I to gotta make sure they serve the food. So he comes out and you can, kind of, you can probably see him. He's like, all right, serve the food, serve the food, you know. And so he says, serve the food. They uh, served him by himself. It wasn't normal. He's still a Hebrew. He looks like an Egyptian, but he's not an Egyptian. So the Egyptians in his house, it wasn't normal for them to dine with a Hebrew. So they served him by himself. Uh, uh, They served him by himself and them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews for that's an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him. The firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth, and the men looked at one another in amazement. Essentially, Joseph said, he had told his servants in his well-ordered house, he says, here's I want you to bring him in, and I want you to put that one right here, and I want you to put that one right here, put you that one next, that one next, and he orders them according to their age. And so they're all kind of standing there in line going, how did he do that? How did he know that I, it's almost like this guy, is, he's good, he's, he's good. Um, and they sat before him, firstborn, and uh, the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. Um, th- it's a sweet reuniting. It's been over 20 years. And he now knows that his father's alive and his little brother stands before him. And understandably, he's overcome with emotion. And uh, they feast together. We're going to talk a little bit more about this feast uh, next week.